Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 34, the one about U2 concerts, smart SEO, InShot and Melon video apps, and Highlander. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everyone to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. As always, it's my pleasure to introduce you to my co-host who is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. I give you Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. Another week, another episode, Roger. And what a pleasure it is to spend a ton of time with a man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple. You are the voice of the Marketing and Finance Podcast and the host of the Roger Video Series. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, Pascal, we have got a cracking episode today. Do. It's episode it's episode 34, and oh, the film we're going to talk about today is one of my favourite films of all time. <laughs> but I, I, I just can't get excited yet about the film because we've got all the other segments of the show to get through first. So shall we start by heading straight into the news? And we start with YouTube, who has finally added a stage to the video upload process, which will check for copyright violations, hopefully putting an end, Roger, to being hit with a copyright strike without warning. Now, everyone is talking about NFTs. If you don't know what an NFT is, NFT stands for non-fungible token, a way of attaching the blockchain's non-duplicable eternal smart contracts to all sorts of artistic creations of widely varying sorts. Now, that probably sounded like complete gobbledygook, and we'll come back to that. Let's continue with the Advertising Standards Authority, ASA, has threatened to name and shame non-compliant social media influencers after a review of their post revealed the majority are not properly labelled as advertising. Japanese beer brand Ashai Superdry is partnering with electronic music platform resident advisor to invite customers to discover Tokyo by immersing themselves in a virtual experience using spatial radio. I like that. Now, singer Sophie Ellis-Baxter is amongst the celebrities serving alcohol-free lager through home windows in the latest campaign to promote Heineken 0.0. And Pizza Hut spins boxes into Pac-Man AR games for a nostalgia campaign. Scan a QR code, play the game, and then share your co your scores on Twitter. From Pizza Hut to Pit PepsiCo, they are promoting a new relaxation beverage, Driftwell, on social media, with a message about cutting back on excessive screen time, which can lead to unhealthy habits and prevent a restful sleep. And Ariel is launching a campaign called Every Degree Makes a Difference to encourage Europeans to wash clothes at lower temperatures in a bid to reduce the carbon footprint of laundering clothes. So, Pascal, quite a lot of sort of fast-moving consumer goods things in here this week and big brands, Ariel, PepsiCo, Pizza Hut, that must, sort of must thing. Must be spring, Roger. <laughs> must be spring. <laughs> and, yeah, it's good that YouTube are uh, helping us avoid getting copyright strikes. But I want to go back to that second news article about NFTs, Pascal. And I deliberately left that sentence as copied exactly from the news source that I took it, because it is one of those examples of utter gobbledygook, mumbo-jumbo and jargon. And I don't know whether you've come across this concept of an NFT. It's only about a week since I first heard the term, but all the big American gurus are going on about this, and, and Gary Vee has been doing live broadcasts. Now, it's something to do with blockchain, and it's something to do with art. And I believe that the very, very first tweet ever tweeted by the... Um, creator of Twitter has been sold as one of these NFTs. And it's some sort of blockchain-y way of recording something with this unique 
NFT and it's totally unique. It can't be duplicated. It can't be for, it can't be forged or or anything like that. And they're all talking about selling pieces of art. And I, I've listened in. They're even on Clubhouse talking about this. And they're they're talking about attaching these NFTs to pieces of art and selling them for millions of dollars. And it, <laughs> it just sounds like total garbage and gobbledygook <laughs> to me. Unbelievable. Well- Interestingly, Roger, when I first scanned through the news that you kindly prepared for today, I thought, oh, that's a tough one to read. Um, surely we would want to make it easier on himself. And then I realized that, of course, you are the man for simplicity. So I knew what you were doing there. So I came across, obviously, a couple of articles for you. But here's my problem with the language. To begin with, the acronym is already taken up. Now, in my line yeah. of work, we would talk about near-field technology, which has been mm-hmm. used in logistics and more. The other thing is non-fungible tokens. My mind takes me into the mushroom territory. Yeah. So I'm really struggling with that. And... <laughs> For me, if personally, I do see see myself to have a pretty average kind of level of IQ and intelligence, but if I have to read an article more than once to un- understand what on earth they are talking about, then from a communications point of view, they've got to be careful. And I, and I get it because I'd be the first one to get excited about my favorite subject, but you've got to be very, very careful in my, in my view about this whole kind of uh, blockchain ecosystem. It comes across now too much as very pretentious, a bit elitist, which essentially, if you don't get it, you know, your your fault. You're dumb, and, and I think they have a big PR a job to do to make themselves more accessible. But simply, for me, when you're not in a position to express yourself simply and clearly, for the majority of us, it's just a warning sign that this is probably just bloated uh, information. Yeah, and, and I'm almost at the stage now where if Gary V is saying something's good, then I, I automatically tend to just run run very fast away from it in the opposite direction. So so let's move on. That was just do it that was just frying my brain, all of that NFT non yeah, non-fungible, all to do with mushrooms. That's fantastic. Again, another slight against influencers here. Influencers do seem to come up on the show quite a bit. And, you know, they're they're not telling people that some of these pictures they're posting on Instagram to their millions of followers are, in fact, adverts. And, you know, again, it it suggests to me that this whole subgenre of of influencer marketing could come crashing down unless people start taking it more seriously. Yeah, and I think they need to start to just legitimize their their activities. And I would have a lot more respect if somebody would literally claim it and say, I'm using Instagram to because I'm in the business of as opposed to hide them behind pseudo uh, kind of uh, post. But um, when I was looking at the news again uh, today, I also made the mistake to, I misunderstood what the singer Sophie Ellis Baxter was doing. I thought you had to go to her house to get the beer. And, um, and then on second reading, I realized that somehow she's going around the UK, obviously captured on social media and more, to deliver um, beer to your home. Oh, yeah, and it's it's even better than that. They've actually got a cherry picker, you know, one of those cranes with a little sort of box you can sit in. So literally, you know, you could be sitting on the second story of your house, like where I am now in in my home office, and there could be a knock at the window, and you could turn and look, and there's Sophie Ellis Baxter stood there in a cherry picker offering you a can of Heineken through the window. (laughs) Now, I think I'd be quite alarmed if that happened to me, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I love the idea of, you know, Japanese beer, Asahi, uh, and joining up with um, kind of a media company. I just love this kind of uh, convergence of different industries. Yeah, deliberately uh, well it it started out as a coincidence but then as i added more to the news this week i realized that there was a lot of similarities again the pizza hut thing Mm. you know nos nostalgia campaign and and literally the box that you get your pizza in is a mock-up of the pac-man game you know it's got the maze on it and the dots and the ghosts and yeah you just uh, scan a qr code into your phone and immediately they've got a a version of Pac-Man that you can play. These are quite innovative and quite fun marketing initiatives. And, the you know, the PepsiCo one's a similar sort of mm. idea, uh, although that's based on relaxation. And then, of course, the aerial. I love I love that take on, on what it is. Every degree makes a difference. It's a very, very clever strapline. Very strap clever, line. simple. Yeah. They're all about PepsiCo, though. I'm, I'm 
I'm in two minds almost, Roger, because what, okay. what they're doing what they're doing is they're advertising on social media. You're watching an advert on Facebook, let's say, and what they're saying, which I know is a very blunt uh, version, stop spending so much time on Facebook, have a drink and relax and spend more time with the family. And I'm like, okay, all right, yeah, maybe. Uh, as in, it's a strange thing to attack the right platform you're using to advertise your product. That's absolutely true. I hadn't actually thought of it like that. But nevertheless... I think sometimes we tend to focus very much on business-to-business brands. It's the nature of the work that we do. So it's it's quite refreshing sometimes to look at these more fast-moving consumer goods marketing campaigns, I have to say. So shall we move on, Pascal? It's probably time for us to put some content into a spotlight. So let's move on to the content spotlights round. And in this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content that's caught our attention in the last week. Could be a video, could be an article, could be a blog. And the great thing about it is, is neither of us pre-warn each other what the content is. So it's always a bit of a surprise. So Pascal, surprise me. What what have you got this week? I've got a video for you this week for also our viewers and listeners that I really want to and everybody else to watch. Uh, The title is as follows. 21 smart SEO tips for 2021 so we can see what the title is. Now you, you, you'll you know that my roots as a consultant and trainer began a long time ago, I don't mention the years anymore, as providing SEO masterclasses and training. So I have a soft spot for things to do with SEO even though I don't get involved as much. Now this video was produced and recorded by Moz, my kind of go-to authority, and it was delivered by the SEO expert Cyrus Shepard. And in a quarter of an hour, the guy packed so much good advice and so much kind of insight into how to think about your SEO action plan for this year. So to begin with, a great lesson about how much value you can provide in, in a quarter of an hour. Sometimes the content can be to the point and put together. These are part of the Whiteboard Friday series. You may know them well, so you know that they've written on the whiteboard all the kind of uh, key elements of their presentation, and then they talk you through that, which I think is, is lovely. It was started many years ago by Ranch Fishkin, you know, the, the ex- um, kind of founder of, of Moz. Mm-hmm. So 21 smart SEO tips seems like a lot, but actually what they are there to do is to invite you either as a solopreneur or as part of a team to go through a bit of a checklist and over the next few weeks and months apply the different tips. They are organized into four different categories. The first one is about increasing clicks from the ranking you already have, so essentially making what you've done already work harder for you. The second category is around content and on-page SEO. The third category is technical SEO. And last one is link building. And across those, you've got the 21 top tips. So in increasing clicks, very quickly, I won't tell you all six, but he's reminding us, and I think we're all being told off a little here, about putting enough time and effort in the meta descriptions and meta title. It's boring, it's tedious, but it does make a difference. The other thing that he's asking us to do, because Google is going to pay more attention to that this year, is around creating a kind of go-to FAQ section or a how-to guide and that kind of thing. So, uh, And the video tells you a bit more about how to do that. The category on content and on-page SEO, I think there was some very smart advice. There was nine tips, but the top three for me would be to relaunch your high-performing content. So what it's saying is look back at the last maybe 12 to 24 months, and if it's not obviously time-sensitive, just give it a new lease of life because if it, if it was performing a few months ago, it will perform still to these days. So relaunch that by having a refresh or maybe a, a re, realignment of all the content. Increase internal links on your website, in particular, what he's saying, we're all very naughty to be creating new content all the time. But what about the content six months ago? Have you gone back to create the links to the newer content and vice versa? So putting some time on that is very important. And finally, which is something that you and I obviously subscribe to, make sure that if you're going to be creating content about a topic, don't just do a one-off article hoping to clickbait. You have to go deep. And of course, you have to create more than one pieces of content per topic. This is what they call leveraging the topic cluster. 
In technical SEO, no surprise there, you've got to find ways for your site to speed upload to be increased. And it's recommended to do some research about, you know, whatever platform you use, whether you use WordPress, Wix, um, Magento, whatever, just Google what is possible within the engine to make things go faster. And he's asking us also to make sure that sitemap, in particular dynamic sitemaps, are working well for us. And then in link building, two, um, three advice there, but the one that people know well, what he called passive link acquisition. Be the go-to authority by creating the ultimate resource around maybe a data set, maybe a guide, maybe a how-to library uh, of on-demand content, but you've got to create that kind of um, you know uh, impossible to resist and people will link to you without you asking. And then finally, uh, as an advice, because ad-bound linking is hard, it takes time, try and seek out you know, the kind of news website or maybe kind of sector website that are already linking to your competitors because it shows that they are in the business of curation and therefore they may, be, they may consider you as an addition. So a great uh, 21 set of tips organized into four categories delivered at pace in a quarter of an hour, which means that you can use it to kickstart your own deliberation or maybe a team meeting if you have the luxury of a marketing department. Interesting stuff, Pascal. I have to say, I've always, again, I said I run a mile from things Gary Vee said these days, but SEO has been one of those things that, again, it, it always feels a little bit like black magic to me. And it's, you know, it's been something that only SEO experts understand. And, and maybe they they portray it like black magic to keep that mystique and, and keep people out. So it's really interesting to see something like this. But, you know, the one that you said in there, and I, and I almost just felt that I had to rest my head in my hand there, is that obvious thing of going back to old posts and creating links to more recent posts yep. as opposed to posting something with a link back in time and oh my goodness do i not do that and it's a timely reminder so great i'm going to go and have a look at this i'm sure there's quite a lot of things in there that will cut through the black magic but it's just little snippets like that that make me think you know i do need to go back and do some work on on some of my content no and, that, and i think that's why you know thank you cyrus you know for putting this together because it is very useful in, in that way so what about you roger what have you got for us this week this is a bit different actually pascal because the two pieces of content that are in the spotlight are actually nothing to do with marketing. Okay. Um, and uh, it, it, But it's how these pieces of content have been used in a very clever way is absolutely marketing. And I guess this is almost like a masterclass in repurposing content and, and actually repurposing content that's 20 years old. So a little bit of background. These these two pieces of content are about the rock band U2. Uh, now, I know they're not everybody's cup of tea. You know, I, I go through a love-hate relationship with this band sometimes i think they get a little bit too political but you can't you can't alter the fact that they are a mega global group and they've been around since 1976 oh. and 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 all four members of the band are approaching their 60s if not in their 60s already and yet they're still churning out albums they're still touring the world they're still packing out uh and stadiums and you know the singer bono his voice is just as strong as it was 30, 40 years ago, unlike quite a lot of group singers who, unfortunately, uh, their, their voices tend to uh, f weaken o over the years. Now, I saw you 2 the only time I saw them live in concert was in 1987, so quite a long time ago, and it was absolutely fabulous. It was such a great experience them seeing them live. So I'm, I'm looking through YouTube the other day, and I've noticed that a lot of pop groups and a lot of rock groups are doing this sort of thing during the lockdown. And I think it's the lockdown that, that uh, that's almost pr promoted this. But I came across this event and you two are actually going to rebroadcast one of their concerts from 2001. Now, this concert was originally recorded and released on uh, uh, one of the very first DVDs that was was ever out there. Um, but apparently they've remastered it, they've digitized it and cleaned it up. And of course, the, the, the video looks a lot better than it did when it was first released. So there was this great big sort of event 
place marker on YouTube saying, we're going to broadcast this 20-year-old concert live on St. Patrick's Day. Of course, mm-hmm. U2's in Irish band, so lovely tie-in there. And, you know, there's lots of advertising to say that this is going to happen. And what I also then saw is that they have a separate piece of content which is a pre-recorded video which was recorded recently which is an interview with all the band hosted by a guy called Dermot Kennedy from the virtual road and you know just watching that on its own as a piece of content was quite fascinating because you get to see them as they are now and they talk about their music and they talk about their history and, and what motivates them and that sort of thing but all building up to this broadcast of this 20-year-old concert and at the appointed time on St Patrick's Day on YouTube this concert effectively is broadcast as is as live and if you start watching it out I think it started going out at 7:30 then the 2-hour concert would play as if you were watching it live and then they were going to leave it up for 48 hours and then it disappears forever so they again they've created that sort of anticipation that we're re-showing this this concert and then they're almost encouraging people to get it watched within 48 hours because then after that if you want to see the cleaned up uh, remastered digitalized version then you'll obviously have to buy it and I just thought that whole thing that whole doing a separate interview show building up to it effectively what was a live event albeit on youtube and then broadcasting it and and it's had as you would expect hundreds of thousands probably a millions of views by the by now i haven't checked today i probably should have done uh, just a, an, an overall great marketing drive and it's all from a piece of content that's 20 years old so i think the lesson from us from that is you can repurpose stuff that might seem quite old and you can create excitement around it by maybe producing that extra piece of content like they did the interview show so absolutely fascinating and of course the music was fantastic <laughs> uh, brilliant and you know what what is lovely is that you've got the two elements working together so you've got the element of the, the sense of event this uh, mm-hmm. uh, and this concert that perhaps someone has not seen for quite some time maybe you don't own the the vhs cassette or the dvd because that would have been uh, what was available at the time but you add the value with the conversation and, and i think you know back to the um comment I made a moment to go about SEO relaunching your high performing content maybe there's a hint as well which is don't just do a you know the, the, the essential what people would expect you to do surprise them with something like an intro yeah. to this to this content and say oh a year ago we wrote this and this was the story behind it but you're right you know that the, the pandemic I mean there's been some awful awful things happening with it but this access to artists in particular uh, or to business celebrities in their own rights has been just uh, um, you know, unprecedented, really. Yeah, I and mean, it just really make me want to get back out there and go and I see you know, live music again. So, yeah, once again, Pascal, a couple of quite different items of content, but again, exciting stuff and exciting stories behind both of them. Shall we move on then and talk about some technical stuff? Shall we move on to the marketing tech and app section? In this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table items of technology or apps that have caught our attention over the last week or so. Always an exciting part of the show, and I always learn something new. So, Pascal, what have you got for me this week? So this week, I've got two options for you to go online and organize video meetings. And one was a newsletter that I received from a company called Whereby, formerly known as Appear.in or Appearin. Do you remember that company? They kind of made the headlines maybe a few years ago, but then everybody went Zoom mad uh, yes. and or team crazy. So um, what is interesting about Whereby, they have relaunched and refreshed their business plan. So this would be the payable service. But I have to say, the features they've added or included into the business plan are very interesting to me. And I think it's important for all of us, Roger, as content marketers and creators and team leaders to have options. You know, as I've mentioned a moment ago, we have Zoom, we have Teams, Skype, and a few others. But a couple of things that was interesting for me with Whereby, of course, is the recording. 
but also you could also control and put just enough branding onto the interface so that when you get the video file it looks a bit more like yours as opposed to you know what you get normally if you record from from the other platforms and there's a few other things you can do as well which you can expect so to begin with well done to whereby for getting in touch really via their mailing list and practicing email marketing in a good way but it was done done well it was done as part of an announcement and it was also them responding to, to the market forces and having essentially strengthened their business offering. The reason why whereby should be a consideration for viewers and listeners and for you and I really is, as you may re remember back in the days, their USB is this was a web browser kind of solutions so there was no need to download any solutions there was no need to have you know complicated login details or whatever and it really made it much easier for people to have video meeting and it was also putting a lot, lot less pressure on your computer kind of chip and you didn't have to have you know meetings where suddenly or you can hear uh, uh, the fans of your computer trying to keep your machine you know a temperature down so where have I uh, I might return to it because like I said you know I'm a lapsed user and I like what they've done for businesses so using the same argument that we need solutions sometimes that are kind to our laptops and, and and mobile phones i came across a live streaming solution new to the market that's going to go alongside all the others we've mentioned on this show before um roger and it's called melon like the fruit so you can find them at melonapp.com and again, this is a browser-based, a web-based live streaming studio. And they say that with no downloads required, you can organize live streaming and, of course, go live on different social networks. And I like the idea of, again, a system that has listened to what the market needs because certainly for me, when I look and I pay attention to all the other platforms, and when I pay attention to the groups that they have, for example, on Facebook, Roger, the complaint is usually at, at around the demand on one's laptop and the noise of the fans or the fact that sometimes the system crash and so on because it's just too much data being processed now with melon this will be done on their side via the web browsers so worth you know people giving it a go yeah, Pascal, I actually dived in and had a look at the oh, Melon right. app because it, it, it's obviously similar to Restream that we've talked about on mm -hmm. the show before, and it's similar to StreamYard that we've talked on the show before. But what was very interesting about Melon is the, is the charges. Now, both Restream and StreamYard offer broadcasting in 1080p but you have to sign up to one of their quite high up plans i think you know you're talking about 50 pounds a month which is it was quite a lot to pay for um a, a streaming mm -hmm. platform whereas melon are offering 1080p and i think it's yes it's a launch offer but it's it's more like 15 pounds a month so if you did want to try uh broadcasting in higher definition and seeing how it worked rather than investing you know, quite a substantial amount each month, Melon might be a good opportunity for you to cut it for a lot less. Super. So what about you, Roger? Have you got something as surprising as your earlier selection for Content Spotlights? <laughs> you know, on the show before, we've talked about TikTok, haven't we? And we've talked about uh, Instagram Reels and how these have just blown up and how a lot of people are using them very successfully to create massive followings. And YouTube, as expected, are following suit. And the the YouTube equivalent of TikTok and the YouTube equivalent of Instagram Reels is going to be called Shorts. Now, I've known about this for quite a while, Pascal, and they've been beta testing it mainly in India. So most of us won't even have seen any of these. But I've noticed more more and more recently, shorts have been turning up in the timeline on my YouTube desktop. And, and I read a little bit more into it this week. And actually, even though doing shorts isn't available outside of India, there is a way that you can try it without actually having access to the app because only people within India have got access to the, the functionality. And it's quite simple that you have to upload a video to YouTube as you normally would, but you ha it has to be less less than sixty seconds. So YouTube understands that, and you have to also include the hashtag Shorts 
either in the title of the video or in the description box probably both actually and by doing those two things oh and it's got to be uh, a portrait uh, as opposed to a landscape video as well so by doing those three things portrait under 60 seconds and the hashtag shorts YouTube recognizes it as a short, even if you haven't uploaded it using the Shorts app, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I, I tried this this week, and it's, it, it's actually quite fascinating how their algorithm picks it up and almost scoops it away and puts it in a separate little uh, uh, pl platform on, on, the, on the Instagram screen. Now, I'm not sure... It's for me, it's for me, but for all of those people who really like Instagram Reels and, and, and TikTok, it's a similar sort of thing. And there's a style to those videos, isn't there? There's a style that it's quite jump-cutty, they quite like transitional effects and text popping up and people pointing to text and stuff like that. And of course, background music. So it did get me thinking um, that it might be worth trying this out a little more. And I therefore started... Uh, researching apps that would help you to create that sort of portrait video with the jump cuts and with the effects and all of that sort of thing. And it brought me back to an app which I might have mentioned on the show before, but if I did, it was well, well, well back in the first episode or two. And that is InShot. And InShot's a, uh, an app you can get on your phone and it specializes in uh, vertical video although you couldn't do the normal landscape if you wanted to and I've, I've downloaded this again and have another look at it and it's got so many more transitions so many more effects it's really actually quite powerful it's got some things on it that you couldn't do in something like adobe premiere pro unless you bought loads of add-ons or you, you you bought bought loads of templates so if you want to do youtube shorts when we finally get access to it in the UK, and maybe that'll be a long time off because it all seems to be the UK's last on the list. But if you want to do something on YouTube Shorts or even Instagram and TikTok, have a look at InShot because it's such a powerful little editing app. You have mentioned InShot a long time ago now because we're on to episode 34. I'd not understood or appreciated that they were doing vertical video editing because, mm -hmm. to your point, vertical video editing, as you know, and as our editor Tim knows, it's not that easy on a yeah. classic, you know, editing bit of software. Uh, am I right in thinking perhaps they would also edit happily square videos uh, on InShot? Yes, it, it absolutely, and and you can. It's actually quite powerful. You can pick. Not only can you pick the canvas size, so you can pick it as a vertical video or as a square video or as, or as horizontal, or you could actually output the video as, say, a, t a standard 1080 um, video, but with the vertical in the middle, or you can actually output it as the right shape. And I think what... Uh, what YouTube ultimately want you to do is they want you to output it as a vertical video so that it fits in, into this new format. So it's actually an incredibly powerful little app. Thanks. I will definitely go back to InShot. You know that my go-to is Quick by GoPro, but I think mm. InShot definitely going to be like you re-downloaded onto my phone. Yeah, and, and it's actually quite reasonable. Um, you have to pay for it, but it's only about £9.99 for, for a whole year. So, you know, unlike some of these app video editing apps for phones, which, you know, co cost £50 a year, this one is incredibly good value. Good. So, Pascal, apps out of the way, tech out of the way. Now's the time, as always, to fire up the DeLorean, fire up the flux capacitor, set the controls of the TARDIS, and head back in time. It's time for This Week in History. And in 240 BC, Chinese astronomers observe a new broom-shaped star in the sky. It is the first confirmed sighting of Halley's Comet, and the last one was in 1986. In 1867, the U.S. buys Alaska from Russia for $7.2 billion, roughly two cents an acre. And in 1939, The Hound of Baskervilles, first of 14 films starring Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson, is released. 
Wow. In 1968, 2001, A Space Odyssey, directed by Stanley Kubrick and starring Kerr Dulley and Gary Lockwood, premieres at the Uptown Theatre in Washington, D.C. And in 1978, the British Conservative Party has recruited a major advertising agency known as Saatchi and Saatchi in its bid to win the next general election. This was the first time a powered, high-powered agency was used to get a message across. In 1981, President Ronald Reagan was shot at close range as he left the Washington Hilton Hotel just one mile from the White House. And in 1983, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life is released in the US. And finally, in 1999, 11 countries in the European Union adopted the euro as a common currency as the dream of monetary union became a reality. 1999, goodness. Yeah, 1999. We parted very hard that year, if I remember rightly. <laughs> so what about the Conservative Party? Um, I, I just assumed that uh, these political parties would have been using advertising agencies all the time. But it was actually when I read that, I thought, gosh, maybe, maybe you know, this is the first time that a, a political party engaged with a high-powered, I mean, Saatchi and Saatchi, one of the biggest ad agencies in the world. And, uh, yeah, that, and, of course, they did win the election as it, came, as it came to pass in 1979. So very interesting that that was the first time. Yes, and I think for me it's, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of 78, so we are into, you know, pretty much TV, radio, newspapers, options available to the different parties. But it's also, you know, uh, access to resource. So maybe in 78, they had obviously people that were happy to finance the um, the, the, the kind of uh, marketing campaign. But also, yes, you know, being at the receiving end of criticism for using uh, such a high profile agency as well. It must have been interesting back in 78 and to look to analyze, you know, the, the ins and outs of the campaign. Yeah, and maybe they were criticised as well for splashing what I imagine in the, at the time was quite a lot of cash on an advertising agency when that money could have been better spent on other other policies. But then <laughs> nothing changes and that sort of criticism would be levelled today. Now, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. That's probably a film that will eventually get featured in the, uh, in the film section of the podcast, but uh, that was a landmark film, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, I'd forgotten it was 68. As in, I'd forgotten it was such a long time ago because this is a movie which is probably part of a strength that has aged really well. You know, if you look at the photography, if you look at the storytelling and so on, it's just incredible. I must say, when I first saw it, I was rather young and the ending just left me completely confused and bamboozled. And, and it was just a very difficult one to, to get your head around because, of course, you know, it's not Star Wars, is it, as a storytelling format? But uh, yeah, what, what an achievement. Yeah, I was the same. I watched it when I was the same age as you, and I didn't understand it. The problem is, I've watched it more recently, and I still don't think I understand <laughs> it. But uh, visually, obviously, one of the most incredible films ever made. And Monty Python, The Meaning of Life. I just wonder whether that's that sort of film would ever get made anymore. I mean, Monty Python was always a, an extremely acquired taste, wasn't it, in, in terms of humour, and, and, and often very close to the edge. Whether they would get away with some of the things that they got away with then, I'm just not so sure. Well, I mean, certainly th this movie didn't reach the level of controversy of Life of Brian. <laughs> yeah. But um, yes, you know, particularly the, the, the ending, you know, with uh, this uh, obese gentleman having one last wafer thin mint, Mr. Wafer thin, wafer thin. Yeah, he was, he was called Mr. Creosote. <laughs> and then the waiter, well, with John Cleese running away to hide before, you know, obviously what happens. Yeah, um, they, they were really a, a wonderful addition to, you know, the, the filmmaking industry. And do we have the equivalent nowadays, would you say, Roger? It's difficult, you know, Monty Python as a collective and uh, as a creative kind of uh, group, do we have an equivalent in 2021? I can't really, I can't really say we do. I just don't think there is that sort of creative powerhouse. As I say, it was, it was, it was the day's alternative humour, wasn't mm. it? I mean, it was so off the wall, quite a lot of it. But I think we can 
you know, quite a lot of the humour that we now have in films, I'm sure you can trace back to either The Meaning of Life or The Life of Brian or The Holy Grail. Yeah, that's oh, the Holy Grail, yes. I mean, <laughs> I've done the think, you know, would the, to this audience go, uh, for, firstly, they don't watch TV, of course, we've proven that point in the podcast, but can you imagine as a family nowadays, 2021, sitting down to watch for the first time ever with more recent comedians, the Ministry of City Walks? I mean, would it work? <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting to put, put something like that onto something like Gogglebox, wouldn't it, to see, to see the mm. reaction that people would have. Oh, goodness gracious. So once again, lots of really interesting stuff happening back in the past. Yeah, can I also, before we move on, congratulate you for finding probably the oldest uh, item on, you know, this week in history when the Chinese astronomers, you know, discovered the um, um, Halley's Comet. The last sighting was 1986, and I'm pretty sure uh, I remember it, you know, um, as a young teenager being excited um sadly the next time that it would be um, visible from from the earth you and i won't be around <laughs> is it's about is it about every 90 years or something ah, that it comes back crazy it's something like this yeah yeah yeah, again, I'm a man on a mission, uh, not only to keep marketing simple, to, but to find the earliest uh, bit of news. But I also remember in 1986, one of the stories in the Doctor Who season that broadcast in 1986 was about Halley's Comet. Mm. So again, I can remember, I don't actually ever remember being able to see it in the sky. Maybe it was just cloudy all the time. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on now from what happened in the past to what is happening in the present. It's time for our creator shout outs. In the creator shout outs part of the show, Pascal and I Take a look at someone mainly from our close network, sometimes outside our close network, and we effectively shine a spotlight on a piece of content that they've created recently. So, Pascal, who is your shout out this week? Now, Roger, you remember that a few weeks ago, you introduced me and the uh, listeners and viewers to haps.tv. Yes. And it's been great to watch, you know, the evolution of the platform, to give it a test and so on. And as you know, I'm planning to do some live shows, you know, using the platform. Now, the platform uh, has a few co-founders. One of them is David Newman. And David Newman has started a new live series on Hap.tv. You know that I am a romantic and I love new beginnings. So although David will be new to, you know, very familiar, I would say, to production, I think this is a new series. I wanted to give it a shout out. And it's called Getting Started. And he's interviewing people who, and he's asking essentially, how did he get started and what were the steps and the many kind of highs and lows or ones, you know, professional life to get you to where you are. And the, the guests so far have been just very interesting, but more importantly, they are people that I don't know. So it's just fascinating to open up you know, your network and your understanding of people in different kind of um, profession as well as career paths. So the one thing that is exciting is that, you know, for all those platforms that we mentioned a lot on the show, it is so rare to actually have access to the co-founders. So not only is David Newman obviously producing and hosting the Getting Started Live series, but is clearly happy to be a guest on someone else's Q&As. He's, he's very visible on Haps.tv, as you know. And what is exciting for me, the more I spent time on Haps.tv and listening to David Newman, is that I feel amongst people who understand video production. And that makes sense because, of course, David Newman worked for Walt Disney for a while. He's also worked for CNN and Current Media. And he's also now the uh, the president of his own production company called BlackRock. So it just feels like a lovely place to be for people like you and I, content creators. But also, I'm just really kind of... Um, I appreciate that a co-founder is taking the time to be visible and accessible to its audience, but also to practice what they preach. And he himself put in the effort into producing this live series. So there it is. This is my shout-out for today. Thanks, Pascal. And I'm going to talk about a lady called Robin Allen. Now, Robin is a financial advisor, and I've worked with Robin this year on, well, actually, it was last year, to be honest, but I've worked with her on, on a financial services conference. But Robin does um, quite a lot of video on, on the socials, and she's actually pretty good on TikTok, the aforementioned TikTok. So maybe she'll also 
branch out into uh, YouTube shorts when we get access to that. But the reason for the shout out is that every Friday on LinkedIn for the last year, Robin has doing has been doing a little um, a shout out video, funnily enough. And but it's a very, very interesting way she does it. Do you ever remember uh, a song by Bob Dylan called Subterranean Homesick Blues? Uh, a lot of people may not remember that song by Bob Dylan, but the video that went with him had him stood in a street with a pile of uh, placards. And as and as he sings the song, he, he, he throws the placards away. And of course, the words of the song are on the placard. Now, you may have seen a similar thing happen in the film Love Actually. They they actually have a, a bit where Andrew Lincoln uh, tries to woo his, uh, his, the, the, his unrequited love. And he stands outside, plays a song, and he's got the placard and he's got the words written on the placard. Well, every Friday, Robin does her shout-out video like that that so she doesn't say anything there's no words there's a bit of music in the background um sometimes it's a piece of pop music whatever it might be and she just takes these placards and the shout outs are written on the placards and, and there's some often some fun facts in there the odd joke the odd you know fantastic facts whatever it might be and i just like it it's a, it lasts for about a minute and a half it's quirky I've had a shout out myself a few times, which is quite nice. So if you want to have a look at how somebody's doing something just a little bit different um, and obviously uh, inspired by either Bob Dylan or Love Actually, I probably suspect it's, it's Love Actually that's uh, <laughs> uh, been the one that, that inspired this. Just just check out Robin's um, video. There will be a link in the show notes taking you directly to i think it was today's uh friday shout out for robin allen la that's a lovely selection once again two content creators doing what they love doing their own way right pascal we have been on fire today and Perhaps the reason we've been on fire today is that the film that we're going to talk about in the next part of the show is one which we both love to bits. So shall we get straight into film marketing? Way back on Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, we reviewed Flash Gordon, which of course had a soundtrack, an amazing soundtrack by rock band Queen. Today's film also has a soundtrack by rock band Queen. It's another sci-fi cult classic, and it is Highlander. Pascal, do you like this film or do you like this film? <laughs> Absolutely uh, adore this film. I adore everything, including its flows, including, you know, what sometimes doesn't work so well. And for me, it's two things. It's the nostalgia and the memory of going to see this movie with my own pocket money. At the time when it came out in 86, I would have been um, 17. And the, the sense of pride that a French national was the big star, Christophe Lambert, as we call him where, where we're from. But also, you know, the, the storyline, which we're going to go, go into, you know, and it was such a romantic movie. It was an action movie. It was uh, on occasion uh, a sad movie. And carried up by the soundtrack and the songs from Queen is just, just a wonderful, again, contribution to the world of cinema. Yeah, now m maybe there are people listening to the show who haven't seen this film, but I I'm suspecting that most people have. So I'm not worried as as I might be uh, for more recent films as, as to actually spoiling it. So very briefly, you've got this character Connor McLeod, play, play, played by Christopher Lambert, as you say, and he's the Highlander of the of the title of the film, and he goes into battle with his brothers and during the battle he gets stabbed right through the heart by this gigantic uh, murderous Kurgan character which is played by Clancy Brown gigantic guy and of course everybody thinks that that's the end of Connor McLeod but of course he he comes back to life because Connor is immortal and the rest of the film uh, is is in the present day but with multiple flashbacks to his time 
living through history. So some of it is set in the Highlands of Scotland. Some of it is set in um, Renaissance France, I think. Some of it's set during World War II. And then, of course, we've got the up-to-date scenes. And, and it, it, of course, culminates in this great big sword fight between Connor MacLeod and the Kurgan and Con Clancy Brown at the end in this special effects-filled bonanza epic finale to the film. But as you say... It's more than just two people fighting with swords. You've also got the the heartbreaking elements of the of the the lady that he marries effectively way back in the past. Mm. And of course, he's immortal, and he gets older. And she, sorry, she gets older. He stays the same. And eventually, sadly, Heather, the, his wife, dies. And you know, that's accompanied by Queen's Who oh. Wants to Live Forever song. Honestly, Pascal, I always end up in tears during that scene. It's the combination of the way they shot it in the Highlands, you know, the fact that she's grown old and he's stayed the same, and that music in the background. On Honestly, absolutely dagger through the heart every time. Interestingly, when we um, do film marketing, usually what happens, I end up watching the film afterwards because I'm so excited. <laughs> I did the reverse on this occasion. I just couldn't resist because I absolutely love this film. I watched it last night again. And I was saying to Denise, you know, there was nobody else but Freddie Mercury that could have sang that song. No. And as I'm talking to you, I feel myself quite moved because it's that awful curse, you know, which is a curse really of immortality. And in fact, the reason why they are all fighting each other and we have this, you know, incredible um, centers which has carried, I think, the marketing campaign, which we'll discuss in a moment, you know, there can be only one, you know, the gift of mortality so that then you can love, then you can have children and essentially probably enjoy life uh, a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's a juxtaposition, isn't it? Because there are so many movies that have been made about people trying to find a way of becoming immortal. But this guy, and indeed all the immortals in the film, all they just, all they want to be is mortal. They actually want to be normal like the rest of us. And yeah, and you know, you're right, Freddie Mercury, nobody else could have sang that song. But the, the other songs in there, you know, It's a Kind of Magic, oh, yes. one of Queen's biggest hits. And and that, that line is actually used by Conor McLeod several times during the film, isn't yeah, it? When, yeah. when he comes back to life, It's a Kind of Magic. You know, it's uh, it's phenomenal. Um and, and 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 so many. I mean, I, thinking back to to Flash Gordon, which was the other Queen um, soundtrack film, so many quotable quotes in that film. But this one again, you know, I could recite so many lines from this film because it's so quotable. The what is interesting for me uh, as the first time viewer, you know, if I cast my mind back to 1986 when it, it was released, I think for us it was the summer of '86. It was yep. released in the spring of '86 in the US, and we'll come back to that, but. I had never seen Scotland showcased in that manner. So if you must understand for me, as uh, this French teenager, I've not traveled much back then. I mean, we knew quite a bit of France and Spain and so on, but Scotland was something that uh, we knew about and we, we had some ideas about it. But when you sit in, on the big screen, and I think the director and uh, director of photography have done an amazing job to choose amazing location, which I know sometimes people say, oh, it, it plays like a tourist board, you know, kind of video clip, um, the way they've chosen on purpose some of those landmarks. But in 1980, I hadn't seen any of that. No, I mean, it was filmed at Island Owen Castle, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Which was spectacular. It's just up the road from where I live, of course. Um, and I suppose we also ought to mention uh, Sean Connery. Yes. Sean Connery. Ironically, um, you, you've got, you, you've already <laughs> said Christopher Lambar is a um, French actor playing a Scot. And in this film, Sean Connery, who is a Scot, is actually playing a Spanish swordsman, which uh, is, a, is a bit bizarre. But obviously, uh, Conor MacLeod and Ramirez, who is uh, Sean Con Connery's character, come together in the past. And Sean Connery is the other immortal, but effectively teaches Conor MacLeod how to become a swordsman. Mm. And, and, and of course, they, they create, they have a fabulous relationship. But you've always got it in the back of your mind. You know, the first time I ever saw that film, I'm thinking, well, if they're heading towards this day where there can only be one, you know, one, one scenario could have been that Conor MacLeod would have had to have fought 
Sean Connery for the prize at the end of the film. Of course, that doesn't happen because the Kurgan comes along and takes <laughs> Sean Connery's yes. head before Lambert does. But I, I just always thought there was that there was that hidden subtext there. But one of Sean Connery's best performances, I think, um, beyond James Bond. In fact, when people say Sean Connery, apart from James Bond, his role in this film is always the one that I think about. Yeah, you're right. And and what was interesting, yeah, he played the role of the mentor in screenwriting terms. It was is not actually on screen for very long, but those scenes that he, you know with uh, Christopher Lambert are just so so memorable. Uh, although I will say that on occasion, Clancy Brown pretty much steals the show. Oh, he's just the epitome of evil, isn't he? You know, uh, hello, pretty. He's got that. He's got a very um, uh, deep and, and gurgly voice because early on in the film, I think uh, uh, Connor McLeod swipes him in the neck, doesn't he? And oh, so, that's Ramirez. Course. Only because I saw it last night. I can, ah, I can yeah. correct you. <laughs> okay, so Ramirez does that. Yeah, hurts, doesn't it? And um, yeah, so he's got that deep voice. But you know, one of the scenes where. They're in a church, mm. and Cla- Clancy Brown is just being totally inappropriate with the uh, <laughs> with the people in the church. But he comes across as somebody you would not want to mess with. I'd like to spend just a, a moment as well to talk about the film technique and the yeah, cinematography. Of so I did not appreciate it at the time, but this is this w- would qualify Roger as a low budget film in, uh, incredibly you know okay. in terms of the even the standards of 1986 um, but also you know the director Russell Mulcahy if that's how you pronounce his name this was his second feature film but he had a long long track record in doing music videos as well as uh, TV adverts which is also as we know the career and the journey of Ridley Scott and I think you can see that into the pace of the movie the way the camera is moving all the time you know it's rarely kind of sat on a tripod just you know, doing the usual framing but also uh, on occasion you can tell that they, they were rushed and you know this is the kind of things you can forgive because ultimately the result is so so outstanding and and the one thing that at the time I remember and to this day I still upload them are the transitions between past and present and and, and present and past the most famous one is when uh, Christopher Lombard now called Nash because, of course, every 30, 40 years he has to change his identity, being an immortal, is um, sat in his New York apartment and is just thinking through, you know, what to do next. And the camera just shifts towards the aquarium and then pans up and we end up on the lake in Scotland, you know, a few centuries prior. And that transition is essentially flawless. And, and there's many other examples like this, but that, that to me was also exciting to watch. No, there's a, there's a wipe cut as well at some point where I think he's sat in the audience in a oh, uh, a yeah. boxing match, and I think the camera starts panning down, and I, and as it pans down towards the there's this, this wooden frame around the sh- and, and and as it pans down, it, it just completely changes to the past, and you think, oh, how did they manage that in one take? That was that was very 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 clever. Uh, another word about Queen actually, Pascal, mm. for this now. Again, you know, fabulous songs, A Kind of Magic, um, Who Wants to Live Forever, we've talked about, Princes of the Universe was, was the song that that finished the show, um, and uh, Hammer to Fall, I think, was used in the film as well. Hammer to Fall, they famously played during their Live Aid set in 1985, which is absolutely fantastic. But I didn't realise that the soundtrack for Highlander has never ever been released there's been an ep with a couple of bits of orchestral music on but there's never been a release of the soundtrack now queen themselves in 1986 1987 did release an album which was called a kind of magic but effectively they they included on that album remixes and in, in in some cases completely different mixes of the songs that were in Highlander. But the versions of the Queen songs that they recorded for the film have never been released. You can only actually hear them by watching the film. It's, it's um, 
actually a wonderful bit of trivia, but also shows you know what what can happen, and uh, it's almost something that needs to be corrected somehow. But of course, this year I just realised is the thirty fifth anniversary of Highlander. So yeah. if uh, I'm not, I have no doubt, you know, distributors are listening to the to the two gigs and the marketing podcast. So just let 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 you know that you should really do a formal release of of the soundtrack. Um, people w- w- would adore that. Shall we try and spend a bit of time on the marketing, <laughs> Roger? Yeah, we probably. <laughs> better had haven't we we probably better had so i mean this was in 1986 i can't actually remember much of the marketing for this film although i i'm pretty sure that i i understood the buzzwords in advance like there can be only one and it's it's a kind of magic so did they use those strap lines in the marketing campaigns well i think in terms of the marketing campaign they actually pulled together one of the best example of what a movie trailer should do and should mm. be so i would highly encourage people to go on youtube because that's where you can find all this amazing stuff and watch what would be at the time a long trailer is two and a half minutes uh, for a movie and the way in which the trailer reveals a story but actually keeps so much a uh, mystery and the way in which the different characters are given equal importance. So um, you have Ramirez, you have Rachel, you have Heather, you have the Kurgan, and so on. And they have snippets of dialogue that literally says to you, this is a story that I need to discover. Of course, you have the snippets of the, the sword fight and so on. And can I just say that it's absolutely fascinating for me to observe that sword fighting uh, and the, this business of you know using swords in, in a world of cinema is, is really present all the time. Indeed, we know that the writer of the, the original kind of uh, treatment, Gregory Wilden, was inspired by Ridley Scott's um, 77 movie, The Duelist, which is about yep. those two uh, individuals who are chasing each other, not quite across time, I would Say the Sony across land to essentially finish a, a duel. So the the trailer was really really well crafted, and it shows that they put the time into that. I think the posters they kept changing. So you have this beautiful one, which is almost like hand painted poster of you know the the main character during what we, we now know to be the quickening. And then you had one which was more of a promo photo of Christopher Longbird, you know, kind of wearing a brand new costume with with the kind of Highland landscape behind him which I think was usually the cover of the VHS cassette and DVD. But after that, really, Roger, it was word of mouth. But here's a thing that I discovered more recently. There was definitely a split between the marketing machine and campaign in the US and the one in Europe. The US distributors deemed the movie to be far too European Therefore, he would not work, and therefore, they didn't really bother much. They also asked for the film to be cut. So the film in the US was nearly 10 minutes shorter. Why? For example, they felt that Kurgan being rude in a church would not be right for the American audience, so they had to cut that. They felt that when our hero, Conor MacLeod, meets Rachel as a child for the first time during the Second World War, and is killing the Nazi you know, soldier, that was just too much. They wanted that taken out but of course then that makes no sense who is Rachel and why is it yet a second very harsh separation for our heroes so the US market really literally ignored um Highlander for quite some time until he came back of course as a cult classic I had some you know sympathy because of course 86 was the year of Stand By Me Platoon Top Gun The Fly Short Circuit so there was a lot of other movies to be promoted and I think really it was Europe and the UK that's that kind of really were behind the film well, I'd, I mean, it showcases Scotland, obviously, as mm. we've said already. But, the, you know, the vast majority of the film is set in <laughs> present-day America. So, you know, it, it's it's baffling now, looking back, to think why they would do that. And, and again, to me, the church scene, you know, that is the Kurgan, isn't it? That is him being evil and... Oh, for goodness sake. And, and the backstory of Rachel. The whole film is, a, is layered. People's... People... The mortal people's lives are layers within Conor McLeod's overall life. And by cutting the layers out like they did by editing the film is just just a monstrous um you know monstrous thing to yeah, do to such a you can just imagine film. the american distributors saying can you just make it more fighting more the fighting <laughs> film he said no and, and maybe you're right maybe you know we have just you know a more nuanced sensitivity when it comes to storytelling in europe and and um so, so a bit interestingly um i mean this movie 
here we are 35 years later still talking about it with, with much passion and and really affection for for it the um Christopher Lombard was at the Glasgow Comic Con uh, event last year, and I couldn't, okay. I couldn't, I couldn't make it. Sorry, 2019, I should I say, and he was treated like royalty, as you can well imagine. It so happens that you know when we see, um, obviously, Colin McLeod with his um, cousins and family members and clan, and when they have a battle, they use actually a lot of the local residents from Glasgow for for yes. those things. <laughs> yes, yeah, and there's a lot of people within that the Highlander film who have gone on to do massive mm. things like um uh, james cosmos in there somewhere he played uh, connor's brother or or he's the guy with the great big ginger beard i mean he was he's been in loads of films game of thrones as, as mm. well um and there's a lady in the background as well who's who's very young who's gone on she's called um something imri i can't remember celia celia imri, celia yes, imri. Yeah, yeah. she's been in loads of things so you know again it's lovely to be able to spot people <laughs> in films like this who effectively had bit parts i guess um who who went on to to uh you know to do bigger things and, and again interestingly you know heather very very um pretty young girl in the film uh, and i can remember that you know at the time being a, a six, 17 year old boy thinking wow heather is so pretty i I really, really like her. She actually turned up in in the BBC series Poldark. She was the right. uh, the the, the uh, serving uh, uh, the cook effectively for Poldark in in the Poldark series. So all of these people, effectively in their early years as actors, turning up in this fantastic film. Wow, Pascal, this has been a kind of magic, hasn't it? Today. <laughs> talking about this and i'm sure we could carry on for a little bit longer but it's probably time to wrap things up but seriously if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't seen highlander do please buy it rent it whatever you need to see this film uh or should also say and we won't get into it other than me saying this but the the sequel highlander 2 utter garbage so as far as i'm concerned highlander the film is it I thought you were going to say there can only be one. There's only one Highlander. There can can only be one Highlander, Pascal. (laughs) There can only be one. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening to episode 34 of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure today talking about the marketing tech and the spotlights and everything, and, of course, that fantastic film. So, if you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe wherever you listen or wherever you watch. If you've got comments, leave those comments wherever you listen and wherever you watch. And if you've got suggestions for films you'd like us to talk about, do please get in touch. Until next time, go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. (laughs) 